20, 30,000 people sign up wanting to go. And we would sign up a certain amount. We'd assume a certain amount would not show up. And then we, we, we did just a ridiculous amount of work in New York uh, City and the five boroughs during that summer. And then, you know, got them somehow got all these volunteers into Radio City Music Hall and turned the lights on. And there they were. So, you know, you never know till, it, till it's done. But um, a lot of those pieces you had to muscle into place and kind of have some faith that they would land. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Blizzy, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. We have an incredible guest to share with you today, one that puts giving at the center of everything he does. He's worked with A-list celebrities and musicians, and he's excited to talk to us today about what it takes to move people to act. Before we meet him, I have a favor to ask. Did you know that there are a few things that you can do to support any show that you love without spending a dime? As a listener-supported show, every bit helps us reach more people and spread more social good. So first, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. You can download episodes too. Don't just stream them. Because all of these actions help us to climb charts so more people can see our content. Visit our newly updated website, caremorebebetter.com. You can send me a voice message just by clicking that microphone in the bottom right. You can comment on any episode. You can write us a review right there on the site. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. There's a pop-up form and a sidebar. And you can always spend a little and support us a lot. Visit our show support page for all the details of things that you can do to make a difference. After we cover show costs, we make donations to a different charity each quarter. Okay, let's meet our amazing guest. Today, I am joined by Grady Lee. He's an inspiring individual who puts giving at the center of his life's purpose. He's been in the social impact space for 25 years, so I'm sure we can all learn a lot from him. He's the co-founder and CEO of give to get a social impact company that goes beyond corporate do-gooding to unleash the power of brands and people. Grady, welcome to the show. Hi there. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, As we get started, I understand that you studied Romance Languages and Lit in your undergrad at Princeton, no less, and then dove headfirst into the world of business for social good. So what compelled you on that journey? Well, I, the, the Romance Languages bit at Princeton was, was something that I, I fell into. I, I started, you know, learning Italian when I got there in freshman year at 9am, which the 9am part wasn't a good idea, but the, but the Italian department was warm and, and welcoming and fun. And and when it came time to choose a major, you know, they throw a big spaghetti dinner and uh, they say, Hey, it's a good major. I said, Hmm, sounds like good major. So I, I just decided to focus on that and was able to really look at, you know, Western civilization almost through the eyes of Italy, you know, from opera and architecture and, and, you know, wars, politics, the whole thing. And so it really just a, gave me a little bit of a playground to learn how to think, learn how to do what I wanted to do and explore things on my own. And the other thing I think it freed me up was that, you know, there really wasn't a direct path from that uh, major. There was no, I, there was no, nothing I was supposed to do next. And so 
I ended up going out to Colorado and working at a ski resort in Telluride. I had a friend, an old roommate who, who grew up there. And so we went out there for the summer. And then a friend of mine and I looked at each other one night and said, I'll stay if you stay. And then there we were for the next four or five years. And, and from there is when I started my kind of un, you know, unplanned journey into the social impact space for music. But, but it, was, it was that freedom and that, that loose kind of foundation that I credit with the, the kind of uh, ability to go out there to tell you, right, get off the private school track. And all of a sudden, you know, you go out there and your, your blinders open up a bit about what a job is and what you're supposed to do. And there were people who were ski patrolling in, you know, one season and they travel somewhere else and they were a fly fishing guide for the summer. Just could not believe that that was an actual job. And so when it came to, you know, at some point, my friend Toby Garrett and I started talking about this idea together, you know, it just kind of became sure, let's go try it, see what happens. Well, I love that. I mean, I also have a background in anthropology and love of the languages with French and my history, but ended up in business. So I think sometimes, you know, your paths aren't always as uh, direct as you might think they would be. So yeah, I, I would love to talk about the motivation to really work in the field of social impact. And in many cases, people get their start when they're in the midst of tragedy, because it's an incredible motivator. So I know we spoke a little bit about this. 9-11 is just in the rearview mirror a little bit, the 20 year anniversary. It's hard to believe it's been that long. But really, you know, how did you work to ensure that with Rock Corps, you were able to engage activists, celebrities and musicians to support communities that were impacted? I'd just love for you to talk about that journey. Sure. So we started this a little bit before 9-11. When I went to Colorado, Toby Garrett, my current co-founder and kind of longtime friend here, uh, we started producing concerts where the only way to get in was to volunteer. So you couldn't buy a ticket to these shows. And we would have people go clean up the river, build trails, do the rest of it and tell your ride. And then we would get the whole town together to, to celebrate on Main Street with a concert. And honestly, I got into it because I thought the shows were awesome and we wanted to do great shows and, the, and everybody volunteering for the show made the show that much better and more interesting. So, but it was a nonprofit at that time. They were, you know, the pets.com, it was insane internet boom. Nobody was thinking about social impact or, or doing good in any form. It was just a big gold rush. So we kind of shelved it. And I went to LA to go to business school and get into the film business because I'd been curious about that. And then while I was there, 9-11 happened. And I think, uh, you know, the stories of 9-11 I had some friends in New York City and the, the, the stories of them being able to go down to ground zero or help the helpers, you know, setting up barbecue and lunch spot lunch for first responders and all of that community building that was going on out there. When you're not in L.A. or when you're not in New York and you're out in Los Angeles where I was, there's nothing to do. You weren't being asked to do anything. And there was no the connection points you had with each other was it was a weird, you know, the world froze for a minute. And then you had to really figure out how to build your own community because that feeling was so good, but there was no opportunity to exercise it. And so we with some friends from the UCLA business school and the film school and my Toby, my old friend, we um kind of dusted off this idea as a nonprofit. We opened it up as a for-profit opportunity for brands to engage with uh, customers and consumers. And we spent a couple of years trying to hone it and refine it. And then finally, Boost Mobile in 2004, or at the end of 2004, beginning of 2005, said, okay, we'll do it. And we did a show in Radio City Music Hall 
with 5,000 16 to 24 year olds, all of whom volunteered four hours. We did, I think we organized about 100 volunteer events throughout New York City over two months. And then we filled Radio City, we put it on MTV2, and we had Kanye West and Fat Joe and others. And it was really a celebration of a community coming together to help itself. It was a lot of times the volunteers was the first time in Radio City Music Hall, was the first time they saw Kanye or T.I. or all their heroes. And and it was really a mobilizing kind of moment uh, to see it on that scale in that city. And it really set us down a path of trying to set up the system so that the private sector could benefit from social action. And we ended up taking that kind of internationally, and it's kind of kind of framed the work we've done ever since. So, you know, I got into it because it was cool and it was fun and it was awesome. And all of a sudden it became powerful. And I think that move kept me in it over time. We have talked about maybe doing something else, changing our minds, switching directions, but the world keeps spinning this direction of, of people wanting to do something, wanting to engage in the private sector, wanting to find ways to engage. And so there's always something for us to do. So that's been, we've been lucky in that regard. So let's talk about that for a minute, because I mean, it sounds to me you're leveraging the desire of people to essentially volunteer towards a greater good for a large group of people who have some sort of common interest, in this case, music. So have you taken this to something other than music? And is there a way that corporations can, in your mind, really make a difference by leveraging this sort of either event planning or something similar? Yeah, I think the desire, you know, the concert just became really the pitch to cut through the noise. So, hey, you want to see Lady Gaga at the uh, Manchester Apollo in the UK? Then you have to uh, sign up here and volunteer four hours at one of these volunteer projects. So the it, that was the initial reason for the shows, because sometimes the messenger is more important than the message, right? And when kind of these, these cultural icons say, hey, I don't care about your money today, we're going to go out and do some work, and then we'll get a ticket and celebrate, that's a different ask than, hey, please come volunteer, we need your help, there's a lot of problems. This is more, this is, you know, the, the pitch here was, this will be the coolest thing you do all summer. So let's go at it from that angle and using pop culture and using all of these things to try to put a different patina on it rather than something that, you know, you need to do. It turns into something that I just want to do. And that, that has shifted over time. I've watched it. You know, the, the right kind of volunteer experience really is its own reward. And, and when we were done with the shows, the research showed that, you know, more than half of the people who, who came, they'd never volunteered before at all. And then about 80% of them said they would volunteer again after the show without a ticket. More than a third actually come back to the nonprofit we introduced them to. So it really did set people down a path of, oh, I have some power, I have some juice here. And so where can I leverage it? I'll go back to that organization that was really cool and I had a good time with. And I think, you know, when we were working with brands, so in the US, it was Boost Mobile, and then we moved into uh, Europe with Orange, which is a telco. Uh, mobile telco provider, you know, they were at first talking about, you know, the the activation or the concert, the rock core gig matched with their their brand profile. And they saw a huge lift in brand love from their clients, uh, from their customers, first intention to buy, all of those brand metrics really went up 20, 30, 40, 50%, which is why they kept coming back and doing more. 
But the surprising thing to them anyway was the impact it had on its own people. His, the teams, these marketing teams loved working on this. And it, we got those teams to go volunteer for their ticket to see the show. There was no freebies. And so it really became, it became apparent to us that there were this kind of social impact tool was a way to galvanize internal teams of people as well as mobilize external uh, teams and the brand and the employer get all the credit for it because they're facilitating the whole thing. And I think this was about the time, this is maybe 2008, 9, 10, all of a sudden who you were as an employer became almost as important as who you were as a consumer brand. So your employer brand uh, became valuable. And so we started engaging uh, kind of employee engagement efforts, really just an organized effort to help and to make the world a little better has enormous rewards for groups of people and how people feel about work and their colleagues and how they feel about their own power. So when we look at kind of brands now leveraging social impact as a tool, we talk a little bit now, we're, we're turning social impact from an act of charity into an act of competitive advantage. Now, how do you use your ESG, CSR, social impact platforms to attract customers, to attract the right employees, to talk to regulators, to talk to investors. All of that is now a, a kind of a de-risking of, of companies because they get social license to operate. Their employees are demanding it. Their customers have been demanding it for years. And they really are seeing the need to find a way to do this in a way that drives their business. They're not charities. It's not philanthropy. It's got to be integrated into the business and operationalized. And, and we're finding different ways to do that with a lot of different people. Wow, really great. So one of the things this brings to mind for me is just there are many budding activists working for corporations that may or may not be collaborating with you right now. And this sounds like a really great way for them to get involved and try on working with a particular charity, whether or not they know that they're going to love it in the beginning. So I'd love to know what sorts of programs you're presently running. And I'm a little jealous that I haven't seen any in my area in Santa Cruz County. So perhaps you can talk about where these are presently operating and where you might uh, see more in the future. Sure. Well, you know, interesting COVID kind of, you know, when you're in the live event, kind of live mobilization business, COVID really finds a way to punch you right in the face. And so for the last you know, year, year and a half, people have not wanted to congregate. And so we really had to flip to more of a, a virtual interaction kind of like this. And so what we designed, you know, we don't like, well, let me rephrase. It's not that we don't like it. It's hard to scale kind of one-on-one -on -one digital interactions like this. It's hard to get a group of 100 or even you know, thousands of employees to go, go point to point with someone and mentor them and, and you know, talk to a kid or talk to someone looking for a job or, or a lot of this, this kind of teaching and mentoring that a lot of people were doing a year and a half, two years ago. They thought this was the best way to go about it. We wanted to create a group experience that was virtual yet physical, and everyone was having a shared experience, a collective experience. And so we designed these, you know, we, we designed kits that uh, we would send individually to everyone's homes. They would get on a, a Zoom or a Teams or a, a WebEx like this, and they would have 20, 30 people. They would all open the box at the same time. We'd have the nonprofit on explaining why this was important and what was happening. We'd have one of our facilitators kind of explaining. Everyone would put it together. There'd be dad jokes. Maybe there's cocktails. And then they would put it back in the box and send it to the nonprofit who was 
wanting this material, expecting it, helped us design what it is. And so it really created a way for people to connect, you know, when everyone was so isolated. And so, you know, over the years, over the last year, we've done about, I don't know, 15,000 volunteers and throughout the U.S. and and globally. We've done this overseas because now European teams can connect with your uh, North American teams via this mechanic, and we send them all the same thing, and then they send the results out to a local nonprofit that matters to them. So it's it's kind of virtual, so it's nowhere and it's everywhere at the same time. Now that people are starting to come out of, of their caves and come out of the um, our COVID cocoons, we're starting to talk to people about kind of mobilizations where employees live and work. We are also talking to some cities about how do we bring this rock core type mechanic back and kind of celebrate people coming back together, helping each other and kind of, you know, coming together in that way. And so I think in 22, you'll start, people will start to get comfortable again, uh, at least in the, the private sector setting, asking people to come back and offering opportunities to come back. That will start to come come a little more regular. Now it's it's still a virtual conversation and, and uh, we're lucky we were able to kind of thread the line between this group collective effort while still you know, being alone. Yeah, well, I mean, COVID has not made anything easy for us when it comes to gathering. I did see a concert online where they were essentially in isolation bubbles <laughs> and in front of a stage and everything and basically being at a concert almost like you would have been in the past, but with your own contained little oxygen bubble. I didn't know if you tried anything like that. No, no, we haven't. I, you know, I, that was, I can't remember the name of the band that tried to saw that. It's like it really flaming fit the lips brand. or something. Yeah, flaming lips. It really fit that band and that audience. But you know, that was more of a one-off. I think the big kind of the Live Nations AEGs, they just said we're gonna hold off until we can get back safely. You there were some outdoor, you know, even Dave Chappelle was doing some comedy outdoors. There were some people doing small yeah, in a cornfield, I think. <laughs> yes, exactly. But for to get companies to brand it and go do it. Uh, it was a whole nother matter altogether. You know, and the other side of it is there was the need at that point was people needed funding. Organizations where their fundraisers were getting killed. So a lot of companies shifted a lot of their activation and volunteering budgets towards straight philanthropy to keep to prop up a lot of these nonprofits who could not kind of keep the lights on in a COVID environment. So there was a lot of things happening at that point. And um, I'm just glad we're on getting to the other side of it. I'd say we're on the other side, but I think we're getting there. So I'm curious to know what's next for you and give to get First of all, I love the concept. It reminds me a little bit of uh, buy one, give one and Masami Sato's project because she was trying to create something early on where she would offer companies the perspective of, hey, you know, you don't have to make a long wait or a big ask in order to start giving back. You can do it small and start small. So what you're doing is kind of the reverse of that. Almost you give to get something and the get is something that you want, like a concert or an event, or, you know, maybe it's a personalized ability to connect with someone that's famous. I've seen several movie stars of late, like Jennifer Lawrence was doing a wine tasting, like come have a wine tasting with me and three friends and enter this lottery to do it and all that jazz. They weren't really doing those things necessarily for charity, but it seemed like a really great model for something like that. So I wonder what you see coming next for you and for Give to Get. 
Yeah. So the, the, the key, the trick was to, to get people to volunteer for something money can't buy, right? So if, if you could just go buy something for $30 versus go volunteer for it, most people just find a way to get 30 bucks and go buy it. So there needed to be that golden kind of exclusivity to the whole thing. So I think for us, you know, we see us kind of marching down three areas, then we've got a fourth that is a little bit of a wild hair and we'll see how that goes. But, but I think the, the one is, I think, you know, with, with the great resignation that has happened over the last summer and six months, there is a need to get companies, there's a talent war going on. People are trying to find culture. Some companies have gone 100% virtual with a cloud HQ. And so they have to find new ways to, to develop culture and develop cohesion and productivity amongst their workers. And, and I think social impact is a way to do that. So we are you know, through COVID and through the virtual stuff, we were able to get a lot of new types of clients. So as people start to get in person, as this virtual thing continues, we see this employer brand or mobilizing culture as a big kind of pillar of the business going forward. The next thing is we want to get these concerts and these live events going again. Uh, and we've got two in the offing that we're trying to, that we're talking to companies about, about how do we start to mobilize people, how to inside the company and outside the company to go do these big, high profile, local celebrations. And then third, we're getting into a little bit of the ESG world where, you know, environmental, social and governance, where this is how, this is the latest thing that companies are starting to bucket all of their social impact work. And environmental uh, sustainability has been around for a while. Everybody's trying to get to net neutral, maybe even a regenerative approach to their environmental sustainability. And governance is fairly straightforward, but the S, the social, is a bit murky. So we are looking at, based on our history of working with marketing departments, HR departments, uh, CSR departments, meetings and events, and others within an organization, we are trying to find ways to benchmark the S of ESG. So we've created a data platform called Social Marks, which we are building out the algorithm to try to, to show uh, against a competitive set how a company's doing, how it is investing its assets into making the lives of their people better and the people in the communities around them or where they operate at least. And once you put those in a competitive set, then you can say, hey, I'm not doing as well as I thought I was, or they're killing us on this. And so it's a way to spur action and to see where you are, because nobody knows where we are. It's really hard to figure out apples to apples what everyone's doing. And so we have tried to put our 25, 30 years of experience to work, figuring out how to lay that out for someone so a manager knows where they need to invest next. And so, you know, between kind of mobilizing people, employees, mobilizing consumers, doing this data and a little bit of strategic work, we think that will, uh, that has the opportunity to keep us busy. I think there are a couple of uh, wild hairs that we that we're wrestling with. One is you mentioned different ways to get people to earn. We talked about this NFT model. Maybe there's a way to earn NFTs, and so you know that's those kinds of tokens that is something that can be levered for social good. Maybe there are kind of impact funds based on some of the data and strategy that we do. So I think you know there after all this time of being boots on the ground and seeing what people are doing globally, seeing what's possible, seeing bad ideas and good ideas, we think we have a lot to say on direction of all of this, and uh, we're starting to kind of put those pieces together so that we can help you know companies and investor set really make better decisions when it comes to social impact. Well, I love that, and I love the focus in particular on that S, which I'm sure doesn't surprise you, <laughs> given the leaning of my show, right? 
But one of the things that this gets me thinking about overall is when you start out and when you got this thing rolling the first time around, I guess this is something that's been percolating since we started talking, but I just want to know what it was like that first, let's say, event that you organized, how it came together, who you worked with, how you contacted those A-list celebrities to get them involved. Like, I think there's really something there. That story could be truly inspiring to our audience. Yeah. So there are a couple of, you know, there's all these hidden networks kind of in the world, right? And if you don't know them, it seems a little magical how this stuff happens. But, you know, the, the Rock Corps story, there were five or seven of us who started Rock Corps. You know, one of them was a, a business school friend of mine, Stephen Green. He's still running Rock Corps in the UK. Uh, he and I were, were kind of wrestling. And the first key piece was getting the brand involved, getting the money down, because no one believed you until you had the money. You couldn't go talk to an artist. You could go talk to the nonprofit community, but they're not listening until they're sure something's going to happen. So, so developing the brand message uh, really took the most time. So once you get the corporate or the money side together, or at least close, you know, then you start, then it started to go, it's in New York City anyway, started to go two kind of parallel paths. One was we had to go to the nonprofit community and say, hey, we're going to now get 5,000 people to volunteer. We're going to organize the projects because I know that you guys as nonprofits, you're not sitting around with projects not being filled. So a lot of people in that nonprofit world thought we were crazy trying to organize so many volunteer events. But, you know, with our time in Colorado, we knew that we could pull that off. And so we started call it, you know, we met with the city, we would just, we had a great uh, Lisa Lepson, our old business school friend, kind of started getting on the phone and say, hey, I want to bring 100 people to you, what do you need done? And so we would slowly build out this calendar of opportunities for for people to volunteer. And then we had to say, well, now we wait a minute, we have to somehow get people to register and put them in there. And so we developed a website and, you know, developed a system to get people to sign up, register and show up and get a ticket. So that was that was kind of how that sausage had to get made operationally because the theory was you didn't want to, you had to sell out the show. We were like, we're not, I'm not doing Radio City and having half the people there. That would be a mess. So you have to fill every seat, but I couldn't fill every seat before the last day. So I couldn't be sold out for two weeks and kind of the momentum would, would uh, slow down. So the goal was to give the last ticket on the last day. And so we figured out a way to do that. And that was a big kind of learning process. And and meanwhile, there's a whole other team. One of our partners was Chris Robinson. He's a music, music video director, film director, really one of the most beloved uh, kind of hip hop rap music video directors ever. And so he was able to make some phone calls and the brands would have relationships with artists. And they so we'd start talking to management and agents about scheduling and what it was, what we were trying to do. And, you know, and money, you've got to pay them. They, it costs them money to leave the house. So there are no freebies here. And so you start doing all of those, those two things together, getting the projects up, starting to get one piece of talent at a time, you know, one piece of talent, then brings another, then brings another and brings another. And in New York, you know, one of the, we started with no talent at all when we first kind of started to recruit volunteers. But Radio City Music Hall was a was a talent. People that was big. They knew it was going to be big, and so that was our first bit of talent, just booking that theater, which was no no picnic because it's a busy big place. And so so you slowly kind of get these pieces together, but you do have to launch without having it all figured out, and you just assume that that you can do it, and you've done it before. So we we were you know it was kind of more exciting than nerve wracking. 
and and then slowly it starts to get its own momentum about halfway through that first summer towards the back end of of August it really started to take off and you know for a show of 5000 people we ended up having 20 30000 people sign up wanting to go and we would sign up a certain amount we'd assume a certain amount would not show up and then we 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 did just a ridiculous amount of work in New York uh, City and the five boroughs during that summer and then you know got them somehow got all these volunteers into Radio City Music Hall and turned the lights on and there they were so you know you never know till it, till it's done but um, a lot of those pieces you had to muscle into place and kind of have some faith that they would land wow well it sounds like it was a lot of work but also a lot of fun that's really oh, great man. Nothing better. So I have a series of rapid fire questions for you just for fun. And I think also to inspire our audience. I'd love for you to tell us about your first mentor. Well, you know, it's got to probably have to be my mom, frankly, single mom, kind of she and I, I was an only child. So it was just me and her. So kind of growing up with watching her, you know, kind of work as hard as she did and provide me the freedom to do what I was doing. Is certainly a a model that I haven't forgotten. So I would have to say that's probably that's what comes to mind first. Okay. Wow. So what about uh, your most recent mentor? Whether or not they know that that's who they are to you. Well, that's a good question. You know, I. It's either you know one of my partner Toby Garrett and I have been in this a long time. He and I have a have somehow have this rhythm when I'm up if he's down and he's up, if I'm down. And so watching him kind of, you know, get stubborn on kind of that this is going to be a success and and watching him navigate and watching him be passionate about all of this is definitely something I look to and lean on and have for a long time. So, you know, that that is really, you know, part of why we keep doing this is is working with each other. And so I really like how he is passionate about real actionable work. And so anytime I get a little airy fairy or get a little uh, intellectual about things, he, you know, he'll start to look at me and say, okay, what are we going to do? Let's do <laughs> Brings <something."> you back. <laughs> right. And so I like, right, do something. Cool. What are we going to do? So, uh, you know, I think he and I have been doing this for such a long time. We've been a lot of times outside of the mainstream and kind of have to look for strength from each other. So I'd probably lean on him as as that uh, mentor at the moment. Well, I'm sure he'd be very complimented to hear that. Now, if you had any moment in your life that you could repeat, what would it be? I would repeat my four years of college because I had a great time. I would repeat that first rock course show at Radio City Music Hall when the balcony of Radio City was bouncing because everyone was jumping up and down. I thought, oh, my God, I hope these balconies hold. And, you know, I'm sure there are a few moments I would I would repeat with my son, you know, being in the mix here. But professionally, I think that first Radio City Music Hall show was something I would do again and again. I think I got that from your first description. But yeah, something quite amazing. Now, if you could go back and change any one event in your life, what would it be and why? Go back and change any one event. I mean, there are a thousand little things. I I think if I could change, you know, when we decided to get the decision to get more into the employer side of the equation, I think I would have done that sooner. I think I saw a lot of potential there. And and, uh, we were so busy going to Japan and South Africa and others 
but I think I, I would have pivoted a little more quickly into the employer side of this equation, just from a business standpoint. And I probably waited a little long to do that, frankly. So I think if I kind of, from a business standpoint, I'd probably start this kind of wider kind of social impact work a lot sooner because I think the need was there even before we decided to make the leap. Wow. Yeah. Now, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Uh, To fly. I would like to fly. That's mine. I I should have prefaced it with that. (laughs) I just want to fly. So if if there's a, if you want me to tailor that, that's always, I've wanted a kid. I just want to personally fly. Yeah. I wanted to be Superman. So I'm right there with you. If you could solve one problem using that superpower, what would it be? Oh, well, you know, if I could solve one problem in the world right now, it would be, I, I would focus on energy. If I could find a way to figure out a way to power the world without ruining it, I think that would solve a lot of problems. So I'm kind of fascinated by energy. I don't know how flying would solve that, but I would try. I would put my effort, I would put my, if I were 20, I would put my effort towards energy. I think alternative energy is, is really exciting these days. And lastly, given your connection to music, I wonder if you could have a specific theme song, what would it be? Uh, I would do the, the, this is, I don't know, dating myself, the theme to Welcome Back Cotter, which is a welcome back. It's good to have you back around. I've always loved kind of going back to old places, seeing old friends and doing things I used to do. So it's such a comfortable tune for me and it reminds me of a time. But I think, you know, as we go out in our adventures and as we go try to, to, to make our marks, you know, coming back home, coming back to uh, the people you care about, coming back to your old friends uh, is such a great feeling to me that, you know, it's almost reason enough to go out on adventures so that you have the, the feeling of coming home. Well, I love that, coming home. Now, if there was any question that I haven't asked that you wish I had, what would it be? And if not, what would you like to leave our audience with? Well, I, you know, I think it's been a great conversation. I'm not sure there's a question. I, you know, I think the reason of why Sometimes I ask myself, why have I done this for so long? I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people who, not a lot of people have these 25-year careers in one thing. They bounce around certainly more recently. You know, some of the, our parents' generation, they were at Shell Oil in Houston, Texas for 30 years, 40 years. And I think for people who kind of would watch this and who maybe listen to it, the kind of fueling kind of engine that keeps coming back or keeps us coming back to doing is watching people find and exercise their real power. And I think when the world's kind of coming at you from a lot of different angles, you you don't know quite what to do and you're not sure your worth or, or your value in the world. And everyone's trying to change the world and and it's all seems very daunting. But the power and the the kind of energy you get from trying to change the world around you within arm's reach almost is really a spectacular thing. And when you can create kind of an environment or an opportunity for people to fully realize themselves and to fully see what's possible in and of themselves, that is something that you just want to get back to again and again and again. And so, you know, as far as doing a career in this, it's no real picnic and you got to be ready for the fight. But I think, you know, Gwen Eiffel once said, the world doesn't get better by itself and it's going to take people to do this. So the more you can multiply your efforts by unlocking the power of other people, you'll just want to keep going. 
And it's really, it's really just one, been one of the joys of my life is to watch people kind of celebrate that in themselves and want to do it again. So I applaud anybody. I applaud you for doing this. I, I don't have the guts to do what you're doing. And I think people who kind of spend time watching folks uh, kind of who are kind of doing this, there's no magic to it. There's no mystery to it. It's just going out there and getting your hands dirty and having as much fun with it as you can. Well, you put the fun in the activism. So I just want to thank you for that because, heck, if I could go work one of those shows to get access to some of my favorite musicians, I would jump at it. You'd love it. I'm telling you, you'd love it. Nobody doesn't like it. It's awesome. So next time we have one, Karina, you're coming. Yeah. San Francisco Bay Area, I'm there. (laughs) Sure. No problem. So where can our listeners go to find out more about you and also the work that you're doing with give to get yeah, givetoget.com, G-I-V-E-T-O-G-E-T.com is where kind of our stuff is. And uh, you can see different examples of how we activate uh, companies in different ways. And, and we'll be making some changes with our kind of data tool on our social marks and, and the like. So there's a lot of changes coming. But uh, for now, that's the best place. And, you know, Grady.Lee at givetoget.com, if anybody's got a specific question, we're always open to having those conversations. Well, that's great. I will be sure to include that as well as your website and other resources we mentioned in show notes as always. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today, Grady. This has been a lot of fun. Excellent. Karina. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Now, listeners, it's time for me to invite you to act. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be as simple as sharing this podcast with somebody in your community and telling them about give to get and care more, be better. So I encourage you to do that. You can always visit our action page on caremorebebetter.com. There, there are recommendations for things you can do to make a difference around the globe in your communities, also companies and charities that we would encourage you to support. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more and we can be better. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.